Welcome to Redemption. Today we're kicking off a brand new series entitled The Bible, as relevant today as the day that it was written. Now, if you've hung around Redemption for any length of time, you have heard me use this phrase, as relevant today as the day that it was written. I say it almost at the beginning of every sermon because it's an idea that I want each and every one of you to hold on to and to grasp. And today we're going to kick off a series uh, proving this point, hopefully studying this idea so that you would believe that it is as relevant today for you and in our culture as it ever has been. A few weeks ago now, I guess it's probably about two months, I did a particular sermon on how we understand the scriptures uh, and use the scriptures so as to help us grow in our faith and become better disciples of Christ. This series is really kind of building upon or going deeper into the ideas that I presented two months ago. And the first idea in that sermon two months ago was in order to understand the scriptures, in order to grow by the scriptures, you first have to read the scriptures. So I have two points or hopes, I would say objectives today. Number one, to convince you that it is as relevant today as the day that it was written. And number two, to motivate you through five reasons on why you should read it more. So I'll tell you what my hope is right here at the beginning. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, all scripture, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is right. It makes us realize what is wrong in our, uh, and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Not some of scripture, not the parts that I still agree with, not the elements of scripture that seem um, sensitive to modern understanding, all of scripture. Every bit of it from the beginning to the end is inspired by God. Maybe you're relatively new to the Bible and you're wondering, well, what even is the Bible? Well, the Bible is God's holy word written by 40 or so different authors over a period of about 1,500 years ago. It got finished being written about 2,000 years ago. It's broken up into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament, 66 books in total. The first part, the Old Testament, tells the story of how God created the earth and then humanity messed it up, but God came up with the rescue plan through his chosen people, the Israelites. It tells the story of their time as a people and how they They messed up, but God loved them and preserved them until the birth of his son, Jesus, which is how the second part kicks off. The early part of the second part of the Bible, the New Testament, tells the story of Jesus' perfect, sinless life, how he died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave, making us and him victorious over sin and death. And then He ascended into heaven. His church was planted. The Holy Spirit fell. And the rest of the New Testament tells us how as Christians, we ought to live. Not just then, 2,000 years ago, but today, right now. That's what the Bible is. And all of it, beginning to end, is inspired by God. The idea of the inspiration of Scripture is tied into another doctrinal term called the authority of Scripture. At the beginning of our time in this series, I want to give you this definition. The authority of Scripture is this idea. The authority of Scripture is to give ultimate authority of your life, of right and wrong, of the standard of truth to God 
and I could put a parenthesis, through his word, and not to yourself. The authority of scripture is that the Bible, not you. The Bible, not culture. The Bible, not uh, changing throughout history. The Bible is the ultimate authority because it is God's word. And it says over and over in it that God said this, or God told the prophets to say this, or God told them to write this. And then 2 Timothy tells us that from beginning to end, it is inspired by God and that this book has in it what God wanted it to have in it. And the authority of scripture says that it, not me, it, not anything else, will be the standard of right and wrong truth in your life. Get this, Jesus actually prayed that you and I would understand and know scripture. John 17, 17, Jesus prays this, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word. See the connection he makes there between truth and his word, which is truth. Jesus prayed that you and I would read the Bible, would know the Bible, and would see the truth that is in the Bible. He wanted us to understand this. Why? Because he knew that it would make us both holy, and in another verse he says that the truth sets us free. He knew that it would make us both holy and free, that the path to holiness for the Christian and the path to freedom for any person is to know this. The opposite then is true. The path to unholiness is to reject this. The path to spiritual slavery, captivity, and despair is to reject this. For this, God's word leads to holiness and freedom. The opposite of it then leads to the opposite. So why is this hard? Why is it hard? Why today in particular? I mean, I don't even really need to answer these questions we already know. Because first, uh, the question of, well, can I even trust the Bible's uh, reliable from a historical nature? Can I trust that it is? That question gets brought up often. And I'm not going to spend too much time this morning trying to prove to you the historical authenticity of Scripture. Though I will say that there is more historical literary evidence for why we should believe this book than there is any other book that we typically acclaim historical accuracy to. There's lots of studies on that. You can find them on your own. We're going to start off the pre- uh, premise today that the Bible is historically accurate because of all of the overwhelming evidence that points to the fact that it is. So that's one hurdle that people typically need to jump over. But more, I think, pressing in today's world is asking the question, but is the Bible still relevant for my life? And is the Bible still relevant culturally? For clearly, there are areas where culture and scripture conflict. Or maybe, on the first question I asked you, you wonder, well, yeah, but does it still have something to say to me today? And so the first part of my sermon this morning, I want to show how I think the Bible is still absolutely relevant for today. And then I want to give you five reasons on why I think you should read it more that might make it relevant to you personally and some cultural ties in. Now, it's a big book. Mine's 820 pages. Some of you, yours is like 4,000 pages. That's because you can't see, right? My goal is to deeply offend just about everybody today, by the way. That's not my goal. 
product. Hey, let's start in the beginning. Always a good place to start with a book. Let's start in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I alluded to this last week, but you don't have to go past the first page of Scripture to have some major cultural issues. Okay, reshape my statement from last week. You don't have to go past the first line. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible starts off with a very clear premise that God created the heavens and the earth, that they didn't just randomly happen, that there wasn't just this moment where everything came together, a big bang or a big whatever else, and all of a sudden there was creation. The Bible starts off rejecting everything we've taught our children over the last 60 years, that God created the earth. Now, whether you're a six-day literal creationist or not, I don't really care. We won't get into that argument. What we will say is that we're going to start believing the Bible at the very first sentence. Because when we know that God created the earth and that there actually was a creator and that this wasn't just random, then all of a sudden we can understand that there's a purpose for the creation, that there's meaning to the creation and that all of the things that the creator created has meaning and purpose. God created the heavens and the earth. We're going to see through the progression of this chapter how our, uh, how our modern culture, even over the last 70, 80 years, has begun to attack the very few things in, a, in, in an order, starting here and moving along to bring us up to even modern day. But it starts with this premise, God created everything. And so we as Christians can say, so now I know everything has meaning and purpose. Let's go to the next verse. Well, not the next verse, 25 verses later. We're still on the first page though. Then God said, this is verse 26. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. The doctrinal term for this is known as the Imago Dei, the fact that God created humanity. And we can derive then that as God created humanity in his image, then humanity has value. Human life has value. All of human life has value. Why? Because God created it. Because it wasn't random, because it didn't just evolve, because it is uh, distinctly different than all of the rest of creation. And God placed this image in each and every single person. And the relevancy and the implications of this are huge. Do you hate racism? So does this verse. You hate desperate poverty that leaves people in horrible situations? So too does this verse. Do you hate unnecessary war that leaves people dead? So too does this verse. Why? Because every single human is made with value in the image of God. Further implications, if every human life is made with value, then that certainly includes life that is formed in the womb. You want to talk about cultural relevancy? 
We've avoided this verse and murdered millions as a result. Yeah, it's relevant still. Every, every, every life has value. In the womb and all the way on. Still relevant. Next. This is verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I could literally just walk out right now and you'd already know my point. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so right here, 27 verses in, God tells us that the very basic nature of humanity is that you have a gender and that that gender is either male or female and that there are only two options. And that you are born with that. Now, I would submit that if I were Satan and I wanted to destroy humanity, that what I would do is start at the first page of the book and just slowly try and disintegrate it. Because if you can't believe the first page, then how can you believe any of the rest of it? So let's take out the idea that God created it. Okay, now we've moved on there. Let's go a couple more years. Okay, now let's attack the idea that human life doesn't have value. All right, now, because remember, Satan's entire goal is to destroy, to steal, kill, kill, and destroy. But now, if the life does escape from the womb, okay, well, now what can we do? Well, we can get that life to get so confused over even its most basic essence. If it's male or female. And that this is a progression of um, um, Satan-inspired attack to destroy humanity. And by the way, if we've seen it progress this much in 200 years, what does another 200 look like? Actually, we already know this. God just starts over typically when people get that bad. He just starts over. He's like, I'll just build a new empire. (laughs) Twenty-seven verses in, still really relevant. Because as the Christian, what we can do is look at the people who say uh, the whole world just happened to 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 exist, and so uh, humanity can't really have any purpose, and humanity can't really have any value, right? Because who's to say it has value when I could say it doesn't have value, and you could say it does have value, and we can just play this back and forth because who's right? Because there's no standard, and then we can just confuse particularly children at very early ages to question how they were made, and, and what made them, and who made them, and all of this kind of stuff, and we can just bring everything into despair, and the Christian can say, whoa, 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 we got a way better option. A loving, kind, powerful God created everything and he created every human in his image and he created a male and female and there's specific things and different ways that they're going to work together and they're going to rebuild the kingdom of God. That is a much better plan. Much better plan. So yeah, I think it's still relevant. Okay, now let's look at the rest of the book. 
Not all of it. Not today anyway. Let me give you five reasons on why I think you should read it more. Five reasons why I think you should read it more. Number one, we'll go back to the verse we just looked at. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is right and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Reason number one, you should read your Bible more. You are messed up. And the Bible points you to the answer. Some of you say, I'm not messed up. You need to read your Bible more. You are messed up. And the Bible points you to the answer. And all of Scripture from beginning to end wants to show you how God can refine the areas of life that are messed up and beautifully redeem them. And all of scripture is helpful to show us what is wrong with us. The self-help section of the bookstore has to be one of the most like ironic things. Like if yourself could help you, you wouldn't need the book. Yourself is the problem. And people are like, well, you know, the scripture is a self-help book. No, the scripture is a forget yourself book. Okay? The scripture is a find Jesus book, not find yourself book. I don't want more of me. I want more Jesus. Okay, number two. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is living and active. Let me give you reason number two. Reason number two, the Bible is a living word, though an unchanging word in an ever-changing ch- ever society of dull swords. Let me tell you what a dull sword is. A dull sword is any attempt, culturally, intellectually, practically, economically, any attempt of the world to look and say, if we just do this, then the problem will be solved. If we just set up our economics like this, if we just set up our politics like, if we just elect this person, by the way, both right and left promote the dull sword idea. Okay? It's not just one or the other. They both say, if we just do this, if we just do that, then everything will be fixed. No, it won't. And a dull sword is anything that culture raises up and says, this is the solution. And these things, they change so quickly. 20 years ago, we thought bagels were healthy. We told people, eat a bagel for breakfast, right? 
I mean, modern understanding, it shifts so quickly. Let me tell you what has changed over and over since the Bible was written. Who's in charge? What empire reigns supreme? What we think intellectually about humanity and how to fix it. Who, uh, what specific leaders get to reign? All of this, economic, it's all changed for 2,000 years. Let me give you a modern example. I rode by a, uh, an organization the other day, and on it, it said, blank and blank organization, ending racism. I drove by, and I just went, <laughs> this little organization is going to stop a problem that has literally existed since humanity was formed by presenting an economic or a political solution that in 100 years we'll look back and go, oh, that was so primitive. No, it isn't. Ending racism is a great goal. But guess what? Racism has existed in every culture, in every era, for all of time. It's not just a problem in modern American society. It's existed everywhere. You want to know how to end racism? The gospel. That's it. And so the dull sword is, if we just do this, if we just, if we just bow to Marxism, if we just set up our economic systems this way, if we, it'll fix it all. No, it won't. The gospel alone will fix it. Does it mean we shouldn't try earthly measures? Sure. If they're rooted in the gospel, let's try them. But if they're rooted in lies, you know what they're going to lead to? More despair and death because that's where lies lead. These are dull swords. The Bible, though, is a double-edged sword. The Bible is a sword that actually can produce change, that can actually uh, um, transform the human heart. The Bible is something that can cut through no matter what culture or what era and has been able to do so for thousands of years. Sometimes we have Christians who are more excited about the, the current political movement than they are about the eternal word of God. This, this is what will bring the change we all long for. Another reason why I think you should read it. Okay, number three. But he said to them, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is Jesus speaking to Satan, by the way. Number three, reason I think you should read your Bible more, your soul cannot be filled without it. Your soul cannot be filled without it. Your soul without scripture is like a body emaciated without food. Let's notice the metaphor Jesus is using. How often do you eat? How do you feel when you don't? I'll go another 40 minutes here. We'll see. Your soul without scripture is like a body emaciated without food. Jesus is setting up a metaphor. He's trying to help us understand how much we need this, how our souls long for it. And when we wonder 
Why am I in despair? Why, why don't I have joy? Why is the fruit of the Spirit not present in my life? Why am I not being transformed in my mind the way that I think I ought to be? How come I'm not arriving at the victories that I thought I could get to? Because as you're fighting this path, as you're walking on the journey of your spiritual growth and sanctification, if you're not refueling and re-energizing and consuming the right things, you're not going to get there. The journey's long. The journey's hard. The journey's tough. You need to eat. And this, this is what Jesus says we need to consume. Scripture is light. The devil wants you in darkness. Scripture is truth. The devil wants you believing lies. Scripture is a seed. The devil wants you to up, wants to uproot you and make sure you bear no good fruit. Scripture is power, and the devil wants you to feel defenseless. And on one hand, Christian or not Christian, avoiding Scripture and, and staying away from it is, a, is, is, an, is an emaciated person living in darkness, believing lies, being uprooted and bearing no good fruits, and feeling defenseless against every attack. Any of that sound like you? Ever feel like darkness is surrounding? Start believing lies. This, this is the fight against that. See, because on the other side, on the other side is the person who's strengthened, is the person who walks in light, that whenever the devil tries to throw darkness at them, they go, nope, that's not from God. I don't have to take that. This person walks in truth. This person is a seed that bears fruit in every single season and has spiritual power to fight the battles that they have to face. And there is a battle because on the opposite side of everything that I'm talking about, it's not just a passive aggression against truth. It's not just a, uh, like a, like a passive, like, well, we'll just kind of wait and see what happens. No, on the opposite side of what I'm talking about today is a militant attack by Satan to destroy foundational truth so as to destroy people. And the enemy Satan knows that the more he can get widely accepted anti-biblical truths that, um, uh, that, 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 that take truth away and set it to the side, the more he can destroy that, then the more inroad he has to destroy people. Which means there is a fight. And in the fight, we should have people who aren't emaciated. We should have people who are strengthened. Because there is a battle going on. And on our team, I wish to fight with people who know how to use this and people who read this and people who are strong and ready to go. Almost like something depends on it. All right, that was number three. Number four, Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. So then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Joshua 1.8. Reason number four, God wants you to prosper. 
God wants you to prosper. Now, prosperity might not be what you think it might be. All right, prosperity looks a lot more like contentment in the Bible than get whatever I want meant in the Bible. But God wants you to prosper. And he wants to show you what true prosperity looks like. And he says the way to do that is the book of the law, the Bible, shall not depart from your mouth, or I could add your mind, but you shall meditate on it day and night. And I was thinking this week, day and night. It's with you day and night. You, you think about it day and night. You start your day with it and you end your day with it. It's with you all day and night. Like, well, I wonder if there's something that all of us can relate to that is with us day and night. That we look at first in the morning and we look at last when we go to bed and that when we wake up in the middle of the morning, we meditate on and think on. Let me draw the line. Modern reading of this verse is this, this cell phone shall not depart from your hand, but you shall scroll through it. You shall open the app. You shall be addicted to it. You shall compare yourselves to others. You shall get into pointless arguments. You shall ruin friends. You shall swear under your breath or out loud when you see that person post that. You shall question that person's salvation so that you may be careful to be miserable and compare yourself to others. For then you will make your way miserable. And then you will have no satisfaction. Delete the app. Two months ago, I outside of once a month or so, I got rid of my social media. It's still out there, right? Because I want everyone to be able to know, you know, all the big companies to know exactly who I am and what I'm doing, right? So it still exists. But I don't get on anymore, and, and I don't watch the news anymore. And so every conversation that I have with anyone that starts with, did you hear, always ends with, no. <laughs> I went to Target the other day, and there's all these Dr. Seuss books out there. And I was like, that's crazy. When did he get popular again? <laughs> Lindsay was like, you don't. I was like, oh, no. We should buy some. <laughs> um, when you meditate on social media, or Fox News, or YouTube conspiracy videos, when you only think about all of the dull swords and their solutions, it will not lead to the kind of success and prosperity that God wants for you. If you delete the app from here until Easter, this is like Lent at 50% off, okay? I, that's, I'm sorry. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Okay. Um, you delete the app and your life is not better by Easter. Tom will buy you a steak dinner. Okay. Because this is one of those guarantees that I just, I know it's going to do it. Listen, oh, I'm not even going to say that. Okay.
Look at the promise of this. Can I read it again? This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will have, you will prosper, and then you will have good success. Who don't want that? Psalm 12, 6 adds on to it. The Lord's promises are pure like silver refined in a furnace, purified seven times over. You can trust him. Charles Spurgeon used to compare the promises of God to a money deposited in a bank. This was before any bank runs and you could trust the banks. He said, just deposit it because you know you can always go back and get it. You know where you find those promises? Right here. Number five. Fifth reason, I, I think you should read your Bible more. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am teaching you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you are getting up. So I took this one seriously the other day. So when Reagan woke up and she came down and she sat on my lap and I worked her through my catechism that I work with her. uh, And so she would repeat it to me. And I thought maybe we should just start the day off like this. But let me give you reason number five why I think you should read your Bible more. Future generations depend on it. Future generations depend on it. For all of the previous reasons that I've stated and for the future generations of your family, they depend on you being spiritually strong to stand on God's word. And here's what, I got a, I got a three-year-old and a six-month-old. And I'll tell you what they don't need. They don't need a bunch of Christians who are more interested in dull swords than the sword of God. They don't need a culture that at the age of five tells them to pick their gender. They don't need that. You know what they need? They need people like you and me who still believe this. And they need people like you and me who still believe this because we believe that God created the heavens and the earth with a meaning and a purpose that every human life has value. And that even though sin messed it all up, God wants to redeem each and every one of them through his son, Jesus. And that this is the actual solution. And maybe now more than ever, I know we say this often, but this one might be true. It is imperative that Christians believe the Bible and stand on the Bible as their unchanging foundation. That Christians are changed by the truth of the Bible and are made holy by submitting to the Bible. That Christians learn from the Bible how to live in today's world to serve the God who created it and who formed every human in his image. 
And that this word holy and inspired is as relevant today as the day that it is written. Relevant for culture and for our lives. I got in a conversation this last week with, um, I'll call it a mentor or a friend. He's a retired pastor. And we were talking on the phone and he coaches pastors now. And we're having this conversation. And I asked him, I said, hey, what would you do if you were me? I know you don't have to stand up every week and preach anymore, but you're coaching people all over who are. What would you do if you were me? What would you be concerned about? I didn't call to ask him this question. I just called to talk, see how he was doing. But three days or two days before this, he said, there's two things. So there's two things I would do. Number one, as firmly as possible, He used the term biblical fidelity. Just be faithful to the Bible. And he said, number two, until somebody comes and takes you to prison, just keep preaching the truth of it. I said, okay. So that's what I'll do. You know, it's interesting. I didn't say this last sermon, but I've asked two pastors that question. Retired pastors in the last six months. And the other one said the first, just hold to the truth of Scripture. And you know what the second thing he said was? He said, I would have been more publicly vocal about the need to protect human life in the womb. It's interesting what the guys who are done look back and say, this is what I've realized is most important. Because what my kids also don't need are churches that think they're more just parts of society or trying to be good neighbors. What my children and your children need are churches that know that Scripture is the key to correcting what is wrong, that it is the unchanging standard, that it is the truth that will satisfy the human soul, that it is the way to truly prosper, and that it is what future generations need to learn so that they can pass it down to their children so that in a thousand years from now, as we all float in outer space or something, someone can stand up and say, it's as relevant today as the day that it was written thousands of years ago. Some of you could finish this last line with me. I stand upon the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. Let's pick the right book, guys. Let's believe the right book, and let's believe that it truly is what every human heart needs. Let's pray. Uh, So, Father, because I know that I am sinful, if there's anything I've said today, whether in jest or in something that doesn't, um, it wasn't exactly the way you wanted me to say it, I would repent of that. 
But Father, I pray that you would help each of us to submit to your authority by submitting to the authority of the word of God in our lives. And Father, would you teach us to be a people and a church that because of our deep love for all of those created in the Imago Day, that we would hold, hold to the truths of Scripture. For in it, in them, shows us the path to life, which is you, Jesus. Father, would you help my friends here? Would you help them to hold on to this thing and to read it more? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.